Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Is this a new season? <gasps> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are we still doing Spanish season names? I think or so. Or is that just for the Ocho? Just the Ocho. Uh, I think we're in season 11. Which Awesome. That makes sense, right? Because we've been doing it for eight years. Yep. This is right. year eight, right? 2022, because we started in 2014. And we had a season lost to history. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. Can we talk true. about that? Shoot. No. <laughs> Other than this moment that can never be talked about. Never ever mentioned again. This is another. I was thinking before we uh, started that this is going to be another one that's really hard not to timestamp um, mm. because this is also going to be maybe a couple weeks until this gets posted. I have an idea. I have an idea that may help with that. Yeah, and we could shoot this down. There's many cool things afoot in our lives. I'm sure to talk about. But I had this thought, and I think Mets, you wrote a paper on this. Some might have called it a thesis. But okay. uh, <laughs> but it definitely wasn't Pretty that loose use <laughs> yeah. of the term. But very very vaguely used in there. <laughs> but um, so I was thinking on thinking about this, and I think it's just like I was reflecting on the year the last couple of days, and yeah, like learning. Don't reflect on this, the year too much. This is just any other day. You're right. Well, it's like reflecting on the week, year, and yeah. uh -huh. again, loose, like vague terms. Yeah. Yep. So yep. that's mm -hmm. just throw them out there. Um, but a lot of like what I've learned in the last couple of years, you, some might say how to adult as a verb. Mm. Um, kind of like so how to church. Much, right. Exactly. That's, and that's why that's my. How to adult as church. How do you church while adulting? <laughs> ooh. Ooh. So. <laughs> I yeah. just made that connection between adulting and churching. And it's <laughs> yeah. Well, now <laughs> I know the penances I'm given for the next month in the confessional. <laughs> as adult. Plural. <laughs> Um, imagine I'm, now I'm imagining the mom talking to the kid. Look, as adult, I'm trying to be church to you. Okay, <laughs> that's an absurd statement. That that's even possible to say. Um, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> doesn't um, mean anything. Okay, but here's just the reality of life: is that so much ebbs and flows, and so much is structured around money. Like that's mm. just, that's just true. That's just true. And, but I've also like, one of the things that I've learned, I guess, is, and it's not like a red flag. I think it's just something to like have an ear for, but whenever someone wants to solve a problem by just like spending more money arbitrarily, mm. like very rarely is that getting to the root of the thing in my experience. And it, it happens like in small ways too. And I, I think I fall, fall into it some ways of like, like we have to get this off the desk. Like, let's just spend this or, or do this or, and not like imprudently, but it's always just something to, to look for, to say like, Hey, if we're just going to like throw money at something, have we like really distilled down like what's happening or like maybe where the Holy Spirit's leading. But I was thinking on that in a lot of terms, and I do, I follow, I try to stay at least like loosely, you know, up to date on the political sphere and, and everything like that. And like so much of the rhetoric around it, like, it, here's the example. Yeah, I'll just <clears throat> throw it out there. But some of the stuff around, and I don't even know if it passed, honestly, but like the federal spending that's potentially coming up is to like fight climate change. Mm. Which I'm all like, I'm all for taking like environmental problems, like very, very seriously and allocating funds and resources towards it and all of that. But it, it seems like so abstract and 
in a sense, arbitrary to me of like, you can't just like say we're spending money on this and have like issues be addressed, even though those issues are much bigger for me to comprehend or to know how to like go at and, and address in, in a tangible way. But anyway, what I was thinking about on that, that something is, is so like not present in any form of dialogue locally or at a, at a bigger scale is the notion of distributism. Mm. which I think that was your paper, wasn't it, Mike? Uh, not exactly, but, okay. but, I, but I did talk a, a little bit about it because I was writing on Chesterton, right? and Chesterton was a distributist. But like distributism basically just means like, like a, a distribution of like the means of production, really, right? Um, oof. Anyway, I don't mean to put you on the spot there. I thought you, you know, having yeah. thesis on it. <laughs> this is poorly researched. Yeah, this yeah. is. <laughs> but just that notion, like, makes... Well, subsidiarity is certainly a watchword of distributism, which is... Right. I, like I, I would the, say that's uh, a main tenet of The it, locus sure. of responsibility is at the smallest, lowest possible level for problems, you know? So yeah, that's, that's 100% your, sure. If your public school is not doing well in X town... It is not the purview of the federal government a thousand miles away with a huge, huge budget to determine what the solution to that problem is. It's the school board at your local level or it's the parents or whatever. Right. Um, and But if you, if you look at how opposite the trend pretty much everything is towards that, it's just interesting to see at least the apparent results from yeah. it. Like, like take something like, um, I mean, like Amazon you know, which I order from Amazon all the time, but it's like, it seems to be, um, like so centralized and becoming more and more like of a monopoly, even putting like retail chains, like out of business, which would have been a move away from the distribution of like goods, you know, 50 years ago. So, I mean, there's competition in there, which is fine. But it's just interesting of like, that's not the thing like actually being addressed. And I read it was, I think it was like emissions were actually up in 2020 and 21. Hmm. Like even though the world shut down and um, like there's kind of been all this emphasis on like reducing emissions, they've gone up in the last year. Worldwide. Hmm. Worldwide. Yeah. So it's just interesting of like, I don't, I, I was intrigued by that. Um, so that's how I've thought around it. But then in, in like just life circumstances in front of me as well, that's been something that I have um, like tried to reflect on at least of like, how do you distill down with like complicated things and, and hard, hard things and decisions and circumstances like the importance of being able to distill down to like the actual core of something. It's, it's very hard work, you know, and like, mm -hmm. we don't want to do that as human beings. And it's also, there's a lot at play here, but the most recent thing I read that I think applies besides Megan Ulrich's article, which I think we should talk about on her trying to live on the poverty line. Cause that's the, that's the taking local responsibility at the level of the family for mm -hmm. bigger social environmental economic issues but um ratzinger i was reading the eschatology his book eschatology on death and eternal life and he talks about um you know a lot of different um trends in theology like in the last hundred years as an approach to like jesus's eschatology and what the authentic christian vision of of the parousia the end of the world the kingdom of god what what was really intended by Christ and what is the faith of the church and, um, you know, trying to get to the historical Jesus and this, you know, obvious thing in the new Testament where it seems like Paul and even Christ himself is expecting the second coming, the fullness of time, all that to happen within the lifetime of like the beloved disciple or, or whatever, you know? And then here we are from the perspective of thousands of years and we're still in this already not yet tension of the, the eschaton where the victory has been won, the kingdom of God is in our midst, but 
yet we were still under the yoke of sin and death and and all that and what is that what is our approach like on a day-to-day basis as christians how do we see the world and one approach is saying like the eschaton kind of like in the old covenant the jews would say you know god is punishing us for our sins and our infidelities but if we repent kind of like the ninevites like he will change his mind like the the foregone conclusion of our doom can be turned around or the coming, you know, the exiles coming home will happen faster. Even though God is faithful, he'll he'll eventually win this victory for us. But us repenting will aid him or like make it happen faster. Um, which is one way of thinking about Jesus coming back, you know, that like if we all just like evangelize really hard and get more people to become Catholic and um, make the society more just and build the kingdom of God on earth through God's grace, you know, then that will make the eschaton happen faster or whatever. So in other words, an, a temporal understanding of eschatology, that it's it's going to happen sometime. Whereas like a, a more a Christological is that the, the eschaton is here in the person of Jesus. He is the autobasileia, the kingdom himself. Um, and he is in our midst, in the Eucharist, in in the sacraments of the church. And so the, the kingdom is here. So it's, a, it's not, not a matter of like, helping it come, but um, orienting our lives around <clears throat> this fact. And um, it's a subtle difference, but it means that like the, the temptation of the temporal approach to the eschaton is that A, the point of Christian worship of the Eucharist, etc., being church as adult, is to um, bring about the kingdom through our good works like politics economics etc and so like the the point of sacraments the point of god's grace is to bring about an earthly justice and that upends it kind of like flips the priorities um and so it it empties the christian message the empties the christian fact of its meaning. And even, I think he even uses like emascul- it emasculates the eschatological message. And I know I've felt that when at mass, it feels like we are going to mass so that you can go out and be a good person. And it's like, no, I want the mass to be a vision of heaven, of like the deepest longings of my heart that have nothing to do with simple morals or whatever. And I'm moral because I want to stay in communion with this beauty, goodness, truth, that is the answer to every question of being human. So it, it empties it of its meaning when it, it's simply a means to this other end that is temporal. But then he says, and this is what strikes me about what you're saying, Rob, is it makes our politics irrational because we, we end up putting on politics or economics a goal that is completely incommensurate with what they actually can do. You know, I, we cannot build the kingdom of God through electing the right people or passing the right laws it's just simply not a thing that's for that. Politics is the like the necessary evil of living in a world of sin, like because human hearts will not obey the divine command through the conscience. So we need to make laws and hem people in and create consequences for disobeying the law and, and stuff like that. So you can create incentives and, and all that stuff through politics, but like to take a problem like climate change or schools or COVID or the opioid crisis and say, we're just going to pass a law and fix it, or we're going to throw money at that problem, is thinking that you can use money or politics to build the kingdom, when in fact, it's a matter of human hearts enthroning Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a lot there. That That's a lot. Dude, you do really good breakdowns of dense theological texts, because I've tried to read that thing. And... Uh, it was tough. And so thanks for the summary. That's You're good welcome, stuff. Guy. Um, Great summary. It, it just reminded me of um, just a little reflection that I read from Pope, Pope Francis. And um, w- what you were saying reminded me of it because he says that we're in the end times. And when I say that, I don't mean um, not looking at time quantitatively, mm-hmm. like we're going to be running out of time, but it's a qualitative difference. So that it's like we're talking about time as in like a, a different type of time. So it's like that was in the Magnificat yesterday, wasn't it? It oh, was, I had yeah. Time stamped it. Oh, 
Dang oh, it. Oh, gosh. Scrap it. <laughs> You're the one who said don't timestamp it. <laughs> um, and, and so it's it's actually a different way of perceiving time, which is kind of cool because we say that like Christ comes to transform all things. And so when he comes, even time itself is different. Like Christ has actually readjusted the entirety of reality. And it, anything other than the proper vision of the eschaton is going to make heaven. We're going to attempt to make heaven on earth. And, and that's actually not what, that's not the Christian vision. Like you're saying, this eschatology, it has to be something other or else we do. And you can see it repeatedly that other political systems take on that mindset that we can make the kingdom present now. And not that these things aren't good things to work towards, but that anytime that we try to make heaven on earth, it turns into a dystopia. Mm. It, it, it actually doesn't fulfill, but it actually ends up backfiring and turns into chaos and oftentimes bloodshed like the, the 20th century basically shows. Um, and so, yeah, Rob, what I like about what you're saying is that um, like the Chestertonian distributist idea <clears throat> Uh, it allows the complexity of the problems of the world to be handled at the lowest level, which means that like in order to give the right response, you have to have the right question. And you, the, the federal government who's in charge of, you know, 400 million people can't know the complexity of each individual community. So they actually can't provide the right problem, the right solution. And so the subsidiarity, solidarity, distributist mentality is that those things have to be taken they have to take place at the lowest level because those are people that actually understand the problem and because they understand the problem the question then they can give a proper solution instead of like you're saying just throwing money in it which is a band-aid solution yeah. which actually <clears throat> allows the wound to rot from the inside you know it doesn't actually get right to the heart of the issue well and from what like um that that's a very cool way to frame it of um like via the eschaton from from Ratzinger there and all and all that too Mets. But um yeah, it just I don't know. I'm working any other thoughts? I'm working on what I'm thinking here yeah. towards it. The, the other thing I thought of was uh Thomas Sowell, this book I read last year for a little book club. A conflict of visions, where he um, this is more on the level of political philosophy, but uh, that all conflicts in politics, etc., on practical issues, like while I mean, what it what it ends up looking like on the surface is like you uh, you hate this group of people, or you think this group of people is more important, or you think this is not as important as an issue as we think it is, but um, so it's like priorities or values, which could be a difference in what, what we value the environment over economics, et cetera. Um, but what it really is, is like a conflict of, of visions about what's possible or what's even desirable at the level of, of politics. And the, the he says it's, there's the unconstrained vision and the constrained vision, which the constrained vision, it says the norm for human societies is poverty, war, crime, suffering, sickness, death. Yeah. And the rare, uh, the rare achievement of human civilizations is that we can minimize those things. We can live in peace right. and harmony and law abiding, um, peace basically like, and live relatively long lives with good healthcare and food. Um, and so <clears throat> those societies that have achieved those balances have like minimized the negatives should be, you know, perpetuated. Um, and it's mostly through limiting people's freedom. It's mostly like saying like, you can't do this. You can't kill people. You can't steal from them. You can't, you know, uh, go to war unless you have a really good reason, et cetera. So like limiting checks and balances, that mode of thinking about laws. Um, well, yeah. And that's, cause it reminds me too of something. I mean, you said this probably six months ago, Biscuit, when you were um, real into gardening and talking about mm -hmm. it a lot, but you said something and it stuck with me. And um, and you just said like the kingdom of God is coming. 
and you can choose to tend it or not. And like what's interesting, like how that relates here is like what's interesting about all of that, like whatever scale, whether it's like a, a local governance or a federal government or even, or even like bigger scale things than, than that, like nations coming together. But the same trends that you see, like that impulse to like try to make a utopia that will in that, that plays out like in the individual human heart. Like that's why that Ratzinger stuff is so insightful. And so it like, I don't, it reminds me of, and tell me if this jump doesn't make sense, but I was thinking of when you were talking there of, uh, Who's the guy from Lord of the Rings that's a steward? Is it Denethor? Lord Denethor. D- Denethor. And he's he's a way better character in the books than he is the movies. Yeah, he's a much like true. he has much more complexity in in the books. But it's like that like to me the centrality of the question <clears throat> that you can take on like not even not even like a local level but like a, a personal level is like do you see yourself as a king or as a steward? And like how you answer that is really important of like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you, are you stewarding or or cultivating a process and uh, goals that are not your own? Or are you thinking you can assess this whole situation? It's kind of like Job, you know, like, where were you when we made Leviathan? Um the the unconstrained vision is that a few elite problem solvers and social engineers can solve the big problems of the world if the hoi polloi just do what they say you know so we can from this high 30,000 foot level decide where to allocate money and and w- what rules to make for your school in little town to help your kids you know, because we know the best, we're the experts. And the constrained vision just says like, no, you're a human being like us. You don't know what's best and you cannot see the big picture. And when you're talking about 400 million people or the world, like 9 billion people, you just don't, it's a completely off the human scale of what's possible in terms of wisdom, technical understanding, uh, perception of what what the consequences will be of this decision in the future. Um, and so you just, we don't, we just don't let you let make those decisions. Um, and that's the, that's the rationale for the, the subsidiarity is just a, not a cynicism about human nature, but a, uh, maybe say a realism that of what's really possible and achievable. Yeah. And Rob, I want to come back to the, uh, this, this may be a tangent from, I think it's a a cool question. Do you see yourself as a steward or a king? And I, I kind of want to remind me to come back to this if we get too far off on a tangent, because I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your answer to that. Go down the rabbit hole, dude. (laughs) Uh, well, I think we have to give the, maybe this isn't the best way to phrase it, but the devil it's due and, and that, um, there are reasons why we do have more and more moves to large institutions and big entities that sit at the 30,000 foot level that we trust to make these decisions or some people trust to make these decisions. Um, like they, they do have a ton of resources um, that they can pour into places. They got a lot of money. They got a lot of people. They got a lot of teams. They have a lot of minds that are working on these things. Um, and we also promote people. We should be promoting people. And sometimes this works more, more often than not that are smart, educated, that are capable and competent. So they, they climb the hierarchies so that the people that are in charge of things in theory should be the ones that are most educated and that are most well-studied that we can trust. They have the most amount of authority intellectually speaking. Um, and so they, like, there are reasons why we do have massive moves for globalization, um, that allow us to basically instantly access anything that we want in that unconstrained vision. 
Like we've talked about it before. I can sit in my room and literally survive without leaving my room because we have big things like this that can wheel and deal on a global scale that allows like poverty to be greatly diminished on a, on a, on our planet. Like it's, it's actually plummeted in the last 10, 20 years with the move towards globalization and the increase of technology and, and all these different things. And, and so there are reasons. And like, even in the distributist view, I remember, um, a critique of distributism and I still don't know exactly what distributism distributism is. I know it's, it takes place at the community level, but the idea is that you can still have things that are privately owned so that people have their own private property, but that it's based uh, communities and are structured uh, on the idea that they're going to take care of each other. And so you would Wendell have people Berry. that, like Wendell Berry, you would have people that it happened naturally back in the day, but you'd have people that would farm their own land, but then they would trade and, and give Food if somebody to got those sick or old and neighbors would help and right it, so it was a uh distribution of the resources that were available at a community level that uh, people were freely giving away mm-hmm. so they, they weren't forced to give it away by some big entity that was trying to create a type of equity or equality across all fields but it was individuals who were making decisions to give away their own stuff or to trade with other people at the lowest level, which is cool and it sounds great. Uh, but that also means that one, you're going to have to rely on other people to take care of each other. Exactly. And, yeah. and two, you're also going to be bound by natural limitations, which means that like in the winter, I'm not going to eat a mango. Right. That, and that's like a silly example. Like we get mangoes shipped in from all over the place so that I can have a mango whenever I want it now. Mm-hmm. But then at the distributors level, like you are bound by inherent limitations that exist in reality. And the bigger that we get, you kind of get to go beyond those things, uh, which really, it makes me think of the, the garden of Eden. It's like, we're not good at accepting limitations that say we can, we can have certain things, but we can't have others. Like we want to get beyond that and just, we want it all, mm. which is a, that's a divine quality. I think where it's like, we, we are made for everything all, but properly ordered and reoriented by Jesus. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I'm thinking of this, this might be a stupid example, but I think in Star Trek, one of the like foundations of the world building of Star Trek was the invention of, I forget what it's called, but the thing where you just like push a button and it makes out of the particles in the air, whatever you want, like a steak dinner or, uh, you know, it can, it can basically like make things, um, like a 3d printer, but it makes real stuff. So basically eliminates limitation. Like you can just make whatever you want out of the air and therefore that's why there's like this complete peace and unity among the people of the world i assume the star trek spaceship is from earth because they're all humans but like that it just creates this sort of un of equality and peace and harmony they can go off and explore the universe and meet other alien races and stuff like that but that idea that if we just if we just solve the problem of limited resources we would have peace Mm seems like a worldview thing that I am skeptical of. Yes. Because that's what, it. what you're saying, Mike, is like we, we have traded off community, uh, face-to-face interaction, social responsibility for each other to live in my own little bubble with unlimited access to stuff and uh, entertainment, et cetera. And it has made us more alienated from each other, from the earth, from God. And if, you know, there, there is a line at which like, I need a certain amount of resources to live a a quality human life. You know, if I don't have shelter, food, security, et cetera, I will like be less than human. I won't, I won't be able to flourish, but there is also a line at which like, this is just too much. And now I, I think that more and more and more that, that infinite desire for God, I've now pegged on 
some material thing. And that's, a, that's what addiction is. And now it will just own me. Cause I think that if I just get more and more and more, there's some line at which I'll have enough and then I'll be sated and I'll be happy, but I won't. So it just makes me mad and think because you have more than I do. That's the problem. That's why I'm unhappy. And so I need to take it from you or you need to be punished. And it just creates all this mayhem. Yeah, I have, I have a, I have a quick story. I, um, that's exactly to that point. I think it's, um, the matter, the issue is not a lack of resources, even though they're like, you're saying there, there are basic necessities that everybody does need in order to live a, a happy life. And that's like the church teaches that. And, and so we're definitely not saying that Ar- Aristotle said that like way, way, way back in the day, even to live a virtuous, happy life, there are basic human needs that need to be met. But the problem, I guess, problems, human problems is not essentially from a lack of resources. And I remember going down to uh, a, a place in Atlanta. It was a, um, like a food bank uh, type situation that was run out of our shrine down here in Atlanta. And we would go down there on, I think it was Christmas Eve um, and just give away food and work with some of the homeless that are in, in downtown. And I brought one of my, I brought two of my little, little broskies uh, who were much younger at the time and just these kind of little shrimpy dudes. And we're down there as like a rough, rough crew down there in downtown Atlanta. That's uh, this food shelter was all men. It was a, an all male food bank. And uh, a couple of the guys that came through, um, they obviously were hungry and we brought Chick-fil-A for everybody. And so we were handing out all these Chick-fil-A sandwiches and I love Chick-fil-A. All my family loves Chick-fil-A. We're pumped. Everybody's eating Chick-fil-A sandwiches. We're helping the homeless. It's awesome. And like a, a really uh, ornery guy came in and he had good reason to be, you know, he's living on the streets. He's uh, was just like really visibly angry. And my little brother went to give him a Chick-fil-A sandwich and the guy was like really pissed about getting a Chick-fil-A sandwich. He's like, I don't want, I don't want this stupid Chick-fil-A sandwich. And I remember sitting there watching Joe trying to give this guy who he probably hasn't eaten, you know, he doesn't have any food. He doesn't have a home. He's living on the streets, reject this Chick-fil-A sandwich. And Joe was like, I don't understand. He doesn't have anything. Why is he saying no to this food that's right in front of him? It's like just this sandwich. And I remember telling Paul Porter that story. And he said, and I hate to give Paul credit for this. Mm. I know. Mm. I hate it. Old father, Paul Porter. He said, um, if it was that easy, like there wouldn't be any homelessness. If it was that easy, there wouldn't be any poverty Mm. where it's like, Oh, here's a guy who needs a sandwich. I'm going to give him a sandwich and then that's going to be it. Like some algorithmic process right. that goes on. But it's like, no, there's something way deeper that's going on there that it's not a resource question. Yeah, again, we want to pro- provide resources, but if it was that easy, like there there wouldn't be war. There wouldn't it would mm-hmm. be a Star Trek world. We just zap little Chick-fil-A nuggets all over the world and everyone would be happy, you know? But that's not, that's not what happened in that interaction. You know, that, that guy wanted something different. He wanted to make a decision. He wanted to have, to choose what he wanted. You right. know, all these different human things that were at play. It wasn't that he was hungry and needed a sandwich. It was that. And he also like wanted to be recognized as a human and mm-hmm. um, had all these deeper desires that the Chick-fil-A sandwich just wasn't going to satisfy. Right. You know? And so that was, and he's making, you know, it, it's on him too and us, but like you, you can make it harder to, you can be looking for love, but make it really hard to love you. You know, you know, I'm not looking for a sandwich. I'm looking for this validation or whatever. And that's why it's so maddening, you know, like you, you want it, especially if you have like somebody in your family, you have some tie natural bond to a person who is like struggling with homelessness, addiction, whatever. Um, and you want to help them like you, you were trying not just with the sandwich, but with the human love and resources and, and uh, emotional stuff as well. And it's just not that's where 
the Ratzinger thing of like, it's, it's the wrong question. You know, like what, what's going on is not our initiative. Am I a steward or a king to bring it back? I'm the steward yes. of what, what God is up to. And do I trust in his providential plan that it is this inexorable thing? It is growing and I'm on to help it. But if, if I think that that problem of that guy's soul is I'm on to fix it. I'm on to save him. Even one person, much less all the billions of people on earth. If I think that I or my coterie of elite friends, policymakers can do that, you are setting yourself up for failure. Um, and you are going to do a lot of damage because it's an irrational mm. thing to mm. think that you can. So whatever thing you do do from that p place is going to be bad. You know, but if you take a, a place, you take the, the seat of humility and then you use politics like you use your money or your car for what it's used for, not to be the thing that gets you to heaven, um, then you'll be, you might be in a good spot, you know? Anyway, that's what I think. And you'll probably be happier. Yeah. More than likely. Hmm. Well, Rob, then what are your thoughts on that difference between you? Do you see yourself as a king or a steward? My thoughts on it. Um, my thoughts on it are that, like, that choice or that reality is in front of us like multiple times per day. Like that. That's my thought. And I think the drift or like the tent, the tendency in my own heart is to think of myself as a king. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but like the truth is that like, no, at best you're, you're a steward and nothing is uglier than a bad <laughs> steward. Mm -hmm. Like nothing is uglier than a steward who thinks he's a king. Dude, that's pretty freaking cool. I may have to steal that. I will say though, my it's my free. one my one uh, <laughs> hesitancy about that is that I really do think like the mystery goes even deeper in that we are kings in the measure that we are stewards. You know, like we right, yeah, we're not our own masters, but my humanity has now become <clears throat> the substrate of of Christ's manifestation like uh, as a priest as a as a christian um it's not i who live but he lives in me and so that's what you experience too on a day-to-day -day, either as a pastor or as a mom or dad True. is that you are a king because you are jesus he's living in you and he's ordering his kingdom but in an invisible way and in the most humble ways not as punches Pilate or herod that's not the primary thing. Right. That would be, that Christ. would have, that's how you would have to flesh that out. You'd have to compare like Herod and John the Baptist. Right. Because like, yes, that is true. Um, I mean, that's, that's the incarnation. Like that's the, the hypostatic union that we experience like through baptism and um, in the person of Jesus in us. But for that to grow and to be real, there's a ten the tension has to be held that like at the same time he must de he must increase and I must decrease. Yeah. Mm. Totally. Rob, can you um yeah, and hopefully this isn't putting you on the spot or anything, but um can you like maybe put some some flesh on the bones of like I don't know about examples or anything like that, but maybe unpacking like you said that sometimes you think you're a king. Um, but like, what, what does that actually look like? Um, yeah. In, in the day to day. Cause I, cause I think you're right. Like that invitation to live as a steward instead of a king that that is in front of us, uh, all the time during the day. And, uh, yeah, I think it even goes deeper than like the tangible decisions that are put in front of you. Like, um, whether it be like just budgeting or like when to do this, when, or e even like, even the role of, of like having vision and trying to implement it well, 
you know, I mean, that's certainly part of it of because there's definitely a tension there of like, man, desiring what's been placed under like your responsibility to grow and, and like work really hard and, and do well. And, um, and if if it's something as simple as like, man, we need, we want to like build this or, or do this, um, like that can be a really good thing, like in line with God's will. Um, and at the same time, like, well, I guess the example I'm thinking of there is, um, yeah, I think kind of like one of my like dreams that's becoming more clear and it's, it's still got some stuff to go through, but I want to, as simple as it sounds, I want to put in like, uh, um, like a cool outdoor patio at the parish that I think we have, we have this really cool pavilion and like really cool grounds and just this simple thing that I think could facilitate like just good community and fellowship and even like formation, like, you know, a place to like sit around and offer like a talk in the summer, but like outside, like around a fire, you know, type, type thing. Um, and so it's like, yes, there's like, I, I think the Holy Spirit is driving that. So like going to pursue it and, and just start on like the logistics, how much it costs, like how much, what are we going to do? Who, who needs to kind of be brought in, you know, just to make sure it's not just a random idea that, that doesn't have much, um, to it. And at the same time, then realizing that like, whether it's two years from now or 20 years from now, like, you know, I'm going to be asked to go somewhere else. And like, this Mm -hmm. isn't my parish, but it is my parish. And so it's like, yeah, if you see yourself as the steward of this thing that is responsible to it, you have a lot of freedom there in, in its true sense. And it comes with a lot of responsibility. Um, but if, if you slip into like, I just got to decide, you know, or like, I do know best all the time. Um, then I, I just think that's really dangerous, you Mm -hmm. know, to, to do, um, so I could I could think of more ways to flesh it out in in the concrete, but that that tension, man, is it's just there all the time. Is is there with people, you know, of like that temptation just to say like, oh, just do this and you'll be you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, with this chapel thing at Newman has been uh, a constant checking in with with the Lord. And, because it does feel like a lot of a lot of decisions that are gonna affect a lot of people and that I'm not gonna be here and this will outlive me in my my time here, hopefully outlive my life. I, I don't know. But um I think when you were just talking now, the difference between like on a patio question between uh and it is very subtle. It could be the kind of thing that like from the outside it doesn't look much different. A pastor that's a king or a pastor that's a steward, but the steward is much more, is much less lonely, you know, mm-hmm. the one, the one who thinks it's on him to like, cause my, my hope for the chapel is that it converts hearts to worship Jesus in the Eucharist. And that's not something that like, I have the power to do through my interior decorating skills. I mean, it's a completely <laughs> irrational thing to think. You're a sick interior decorator. <laughs> but if you think that the Lord wants this. And he's going to help me. He's going to send the people to provide the resources, the money, and the the skills and talents to make this beautiful so that it, it turns hearts to him. Then that's exciting and it's not lonely. And you, you might have some haters. You might have some people being like, why are you doing this? Or I don't like that. And you, you say, okay, I can humbly accept that feedback, but I have the confidence either, you know, to, to respond to it, accept it, put it into action or say, no. I, I have good reason to believe that that's not what the Lord wants, you know, in hum, in humility, not that I'm this, like, I'm this organ of revelation myself, but you know, like I'm some kind of private revelation guy that this is exactly how he wants it. But through the normal human ways of collaboration, the Lord brings about his will. And 
that's cool and exciting and it makes you feel like you belong and it gives you this seat of authority as a steward that you are kind of a viceroy a surrogate king because he's ruling through you right it doesn't allow you to shirk responsibility right and i see i mean you i see that too and i think i think that's present in me some days of like man i just you know yeah it's not my parish i want to make the parish the uh, parish council decide and like then I don't hey have no to... you know no conflict here you know right. type thing um totally. but i mean i think you see that i think you see that a lot i see it in myself um and you see it in a lot of people that um you know it probably comes from a lot of different um places of insecurity and and a lot of a lot of different places but there's this um yeah there's this hesitancy to want the ball like that's kind of the the term mm. to to think mm. of it in you know feed me the um, rock feed me the rock the offense runs through me okay <laughs> i i want to get a touch every time that we have the ball <laughs> yeah dude and and uh you know, and even thinking about, <laughs> dude, not yet, not yet. <laughs> We're thinking about the there. <laughs> almost. Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> um, like, and and I, I don't want this to sound like too gentle and meek, or, um, you know, because like that that the battle of trying to live as a steward, even though we are Kings, um, which is amazing with Jesus, but that also, um, it doesn't create attention, but, um, in our own hearts, like you do have to be a good steward of your own heart. And, in the fact that, um, like you can't, well, it's one of the tropes that we use. Like you can't tell yourself how to feel, AKA you're not, you're not the master of your own life, but that Christ is King. And so then proper stewardship there is, uh, tilling the soil of your heart so that the Lord can actually work in it, which means that you don't get to decide and make things the way that you want, but it's simply saying like, Lord, this is how I feel. Lord, this is what's going on. I want to be honest and open and transparent with you so that you can work through me as the king, which then actually makes us more like kings. So that even that idea of stewardship, like goes down to the human heart. Like, like we've said a couple of times that like, that's the primary point of transformation that takes place, which then once you have a transformed heart as a steward, which is like, I'm not going to crush emotions. I'm not going to crush, uh, yeah, the, concrete situations that I'm in or the fears and joys and all those different things. Like I'm not on to tell myself how to feel. I'm not, that's not my role. Uh, but what a different way to look at stewardship <laughs> than like, Hey, let's be a steward of the planet. And you're like, okay, well, what if we started out just being like stewards of our own heart and then allow it to grow from the inside out like that? Um, yeah, man, it, make your bed in it, the morning. It just proposes a different way to, I mean, that's looking at the world, looking at the biblical story, like looking at the person of Jesus. Uh, and that's at the lowest level possible. Yeah. You know, so, so, so that question, are you a king or a steward? Or do you see yourself as a king and a steward goes, goes really high, but it also goes really, really, really low. Uh, it goes deep, I guess, in both ways. Yeah. I mean, I I had not, that was not something I had like terms, king or steward, I had thought of like before. It's just when I thought of Denethor, you know, in, in this, but um, I mean, that's, yeah. In, I, I think, I think you're confronted with, with that multiple times a day, just in being a human being. Aren't we all human beings? Can't we just? We're not human live? doings, that's for sure. Can we just be? <laughs> Why can't we just be in peace? Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how old Lang Syne goes, so I can timestamp this episode. 
Christmas old lang syne. Christmas Can't... old lang syne. <laughs> yeah, that's an exact. That's the German. That's, that's the, the original German. That was the German. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. Here's something that will blow you guys away. <clears throat> Why don't we just live and let live? Hmm. <laughs> when you said it, I hadn't thought of it. But then when you said it, I was like, yeah. Wow. But that's why we need to have more collaboration. That's how you adult while churching. Oh, I was just going to say that. It was full circle. I was like, he's going to, we're going to church at the end here. That's it. Yeah. I don't know how else to end it. Uh, So this is, I mean, that's what we're, that's what this boils down to is Mm -hmm. like, let us church. Are are you church or not? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you it's, churched today? That's, that's the question. Have you churched question. today? It's really fun to take nouns and make them verbs. Mm-hmm. Churching, adulting. I think, did we get an email that moneyballing? Oh, moneyballing, yeah. Moneyballing money evangelization. Or was that, that moneyballing evangelization? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't, isn't the word verb a noun? Like, Whoa, what you just said. Oh, dude. Wow. Nice. Uh, <laughs> dude. That's Gosh. fire. Why do you drive in a parkway and park in a driveway? Wow. I can't take it. I can't take it. All right, fellas. Good talk. By the, by the way, we call my dad Lord Denethor because of how he eats. There's a scene from Lord of the Rings when he's eating this tomato. <laughs> And it like zooms in on his mouth. This tomato juice just like squirts all over. It's so gross. And that's Pat Metz. That's my dad, Lord Denethor. In the movies, he yeah, I know that scene. It's disgusting. Um, it is. But in the books, Denethor is a fascinating character. He's cool. Because he is, yeah, there's a lot of depth to him. And he's just gone bad, man. Like he's he slid down the slope. Is that worm tongue? Oh my gosh, dude. I will not take offense at that. <laughs> Is it I the will. one that's like whispering in his ear or something? No, I've read dude, the book. Gandalf. Okay. All right. You're thinking of. Which one's Aslan? You're thinking of Professor Snape. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Happy love New Year. Peace. Oh, you double time stamped it. Follow V Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.